so I sort of started remixing after that. I mm. tend to do a lot of like remixes of my songs where I will take, I'm like, I like this bit, I like this bit from this song, I like this bit from that song. And then I kind of merge them into this sort of mutant mm. song and then press them through a couple of times. It's like, you know, putting different doughs together sure. and merging them all together. That's and then cool it makes this yeah, yeah. kind of weird sort of amalgamation of a new song that mm. often in the end doesn't even sound anything like the original. But yeah, right. But that's the fun of it, right? Yeah. Like finding out what comes out of that mishmash. Home Audio Entertainment. 9016 Radio. The show for artists of all kinds. Sit down, relax, enjoy the music. Easy. We Sick. managed to actually get in the studio today. I know. Um, <laughs> I seem to magically help you get back into the building. That was so embarrassing. Honestly, <laughs> like after after you'd managed to, to open the door, you did it so quickly. I thought, oh, my God, I hope they don't think that I've just like – anxiously just going oh I can't get in today and I can't do the <laughs> podcast you know I would have hated that because <laughs> no. it was honestly like you were like one turn and it was in it was mm. so awkward I have dealt with my fair share of like terrible locks over the years to the point where like I've been in like trapped in the middle of nowhere in like Europe trying to get into a building oh and it's just been like you know you just have to turn the key like a million times I to was get so in. close to pulling up like a how to pick a lock YouTube yeah. video or something to get in there because it was just like, why is this happening today yeah. of all days? Yeah. Maybe it was a sign. It's weird. Sometimes keys, you're like, oh, yeah, it's always going to be the right way around. And then for some reason, it's like, I'm going to be the left today. And it's like, all right, cool. Good <laughs> oh, for you. God. There must be a reason for these things. Are you someone that sort of believes in like things happen for a reason? Like you typically like, you, would you think of that scenario as something like, okay, maybe we weren't supposed to do that podcast today. Do you sort of think that way? Or do you sort of sort of think, oh, that was just, that's just luck of the draw? A little bit. I definitely, as someone who is like religious and has like sort of, I always believe in the power of the universe doing sure. fun and crazy random things. I definitely yeah. believe that the universe is random mm-hmm. and that God is random and Very all random. of that stuff is random Absolutely. and I'm into that. Um, but I do definitely think things happen for a reason. Yeah. Usually, even if you can't tell until like years later. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think I think like that too for the most part. Like I always, I always, I think I typically believe that um, there are co- coincidences. Mm-hmm. Like typically things will happen sporadically without any sort of plan at hand. Yeah. But there are also so many times where things will happen and you sort of think, that's so uncanny. Mm-hmm. That has to have been for a reason. Like yeah. I remember, well, actually something happened yesterday. I was driving with a friend and they were talking about how their, what was that specifically? They were saying about how, oh, they'd they'd driven their car into their old car and like smashed it sort of thing. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, that's weird. Like I hope your old car wasn't an old beat up one, whatever. And then the minute after they'd said that we drove past my old car like my old car that i sold like a couple of months ago Whoa, was on the road that's and, and it wasn't like the same model or color like it was my car like the license plate was my old car 100 percent. that was the car i used to own right after they'd said like they just hit their old car like that mm. sort of thing that's like i love it what that's amazing that has to be Mm. There has to be something like, you know, yeah. and then and then I'll, I'll go off on the spiral of like, okay, like, how how has that like happened? Yes. Do I think about that literally like, you know, 
that's happened for a reason. How has it happened for a reason? And then my logistical brain starts to work and I go, well, Dunedin Small, the car's still in the city. Yeah. Chances are I'm going to see it somewhere. But at the time that that was mentioned from someone else, like exactly. that's just crazy. It's like it was summoned, you know? Yeah, exactly. I always think of that all the time. I think that all sort like... I love it. It's just magical. It's fun to think of things that way too, I think, aside yeah. from any logistical framework around it. It's kind of exciting just to think, wow, like what a strange coincidence that something like that has happened, you know. I had a, I had a good year, it would have been 2017, where that sort of thing happened to me all the time. That's amazing. Just uncanny things. And it was mm. like you get to the point where those things are so surprising initially and it's like, wow, what? And you start to overanalyze things and you think, how has this happened? And then it happened so many times to me that year that it just became, that was just how I just accepted those things. Yeah. I was like, yep, yep, that's, that sounds about right. That sounds about because right. Because it would just keep happening. And it's yeah. like how, you know, what, what is that play here? I always feel like I wonder how us as humans do like to explore these ideas Absolutely. of, you know, fate and, and, and things are meant to happen for a reason. And I wonder if that's due to just just us wanting to seek something further yeah. or whether we are it's part of our sort of logistical thought process as to why things happen the way they do. Because there is a general format outside of, I guess, experiences. Like there's – I've always been a person of the, there's a logistical answer to everything. Like yeah. even if something does surprise you, there's got to be something at play. Mm-hmm. But then there are points where things like that happen, and you go, oh, "It's beyond the pale." What? That is beyond something that can be actually explained. Absolutely, you know that's crazy. I love that. So I'm so for that. I think the world is very random. I think the universe is extremely random. Um, there's something that I read, sort of started reading this book called "Our God Is Too Small," um, and you can apply that to any form of ideology, religious Mm. or not, where basically in this book they said that they sort of put God, people tend to put God into a box that's really small when in reality the nature of God and the nature of the universe is beyond our control Mm. and beyond our comprehension. Absolutely. And so when we always try to like put things into boxes, like we can try our best, like we do it all the time with physics and science and stuff, but there are some things that just we still have no idea. Like. Definitely. The ocean. We've only discovered 3% of it. Yeah, It's stuff like that, which is just wild. Yeah, absolutely. And it's It's amazing. And I kind of think there's something really fun about keeping things a mystery. Yeah, Um, definitely. Obviously, some things you don't want to be kept in the dark about and you should have, you know, a clear idea about. But in reality, I think it's better to just go with the mystery of the universe than try and... Absolutely. Fight and it keeps your mind it. open, you know. Yeah. Keeps keeps you excited about things that happen and then then because there's there's still gonna be always things that happen in our world in our lifetime that are ever going to sort of we're we're always we're con- continuously gonna learn things and we're t- continuously gonna discover things. And some people learn things way sooner than others. Yeah. In life. Like you could be talking to someone about something that you thought was you know, day one knowledge, which yeah. is brand new information to someone else. Absolutely. So, you know, not everyone has the same way of, of thinking about things based on how they've experienced things and when they've experienced things in their own timeline, you know. It's yeah. so, so interesting. So I've, as much as my default logical brain comes into play, I try to often just put that aside and just sort of 
Yep. Okay. That's that is what it is, and it it's is happened what it is. for whatever reason, unbeknown to me, and that's fine. But I still like to sort of. There's some things that are also scary in a way. Yeah. And I and I am talking about this in a very broad sense, which might sound confusing, but some things do sort of frighten me, or I have to get to an answer. Yes. For something, you know, absolutely. Whether it's a you know something as little as a noise that occurred in a space that you're in and you don't know what that noise is. Absolutely. You know, that's sort of something that I can't exactly go, oh, I won't worry. No, or of course it was not. something out of the ordinary that you sort of go, oh, no, well, that's that's just whatever. That's just that's just something that was supposed to happen for a reason. Oh, but yeah. But it's affecting me directly. I feel like I have to get to that conclusion to be at peace with what has occurred. And that's just obviously a small example of something, a larger yeah. sort of ideology. But, you know. I don't know. I guess. I guess what I'm saying is just. I just. I like to know the answer to things as much as I enjoy the the fantasy of the of the unknown and things Definitely. as well. You know. Yeah. I'm a very yeah fantastical person. I love <laughs> the unknown. I love yeah. things being weird, but also at the same time, I have a generalized anxiety disorder, and um, I am like a production manager, and I deal with technical stuff mm. all the time. Mm. And that's when it's good to have those parameters in yeah, place. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Why is this thing humming weirdly? Or yeah. why do I feel dizzy? Like you yeah, know, absolutely. it's good to absolutely. like yeah, yeah. Particularly, I think particularly working in audio. Things go wrong all the time. And again, it's the randomness of the universe Absolutely. while this bit of technical gear oh, is decided to crap out. Yeah. It's the worst. Technical mystery, as you can definitely, yeah. Understand. Understand yeah. is the worst. <laughs> yeah. and, and, that, and that's the thing that's probably like more likely going to to fail you beyond your control. You Absolutely. Know? I've, I've heard numerous stories and experienced times and places where technical equipment specifically has gone wrong just f for no reason. You oh, know, yeah. how many times has your computer done something so random that you're like, why is this happening? Why is this not working on this day and time? Yeah. And you just restart it and it's, and it's normal, you know, that's this the nature of technology and, and, and especially musicians in a, in a live concert sense. Oh yeah. I'd heard, um, there was, there was a podcast I listened to with, um, Oh, what's their name? Dang it. It was on the, the Rick Rubin podcast. Oh, Have yeah. you ever listened to that? I've listened to that. James Blake. James oh, Blake. Yeah. James Blake, yeah. They were talking about a performance. Well, just talking about how how um, as much time and money as you can put into your gear that mm -hmm. you're using on stage, you can have the best mixer, you can have the best microphone, you can have the best audio engineers working on your setup and your sound and, and everything, and you can have your laptop set up with all these safety things on any given day of performing or recording or whatever it is something can go wrong absolutely and that's just beyond your control like and you have to be able to just accept that yeah as well sometimes because you know and in that sense the show must go on some way or another but you can't you can't always rely on that no and it's weird to think that that's a physical thing that we have created to perform a task for us yeah. fails unknowingly. Yeah. You know, sometimes it is just like, oh, have you tried turning it on and off again? Or, yeah. oh, this 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 connection just wasn't properly in light. Even, even if you do look at that literally and think there's everything in place here, nothing can go wrong and something still goes wrong. Yeah. What are we left to do in that scenario? That's got to be something else it's coming something else. into play, you know? Yeah. Like, 
or it's just human error involved somewhere in the manufacturing, which we can't identify somehow. Exactly. Or is that something else? Like, is that fate in yeah. that stage saying, you weren't meant to play this today? Yeah. You know, in the sense of, you know, performing if something fails in you. It's like, is there a reason why this happened to me today with everything that I put in place to do this thing? Yeah. And it's and it stopped. You know, Absolutely. It's just technical difficulties are the bane of my existence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Bane the, of mine. Oh, my God. Every day. How, how often have you experienced that sort of thing working in radio? Oh, all the time. All the time. I think, yeah, particularly in radio, because sometimes it's not even you that goes wrong. It's the radio tower. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, you, know, you think everything's down here is good. Yeah, yeah, we've checked all of the levels. Everything here is great. Where is that weird noise? Ah, oh, it's Mount Cargill. Like, you know, <laughs> like, it's purely, like, it's right out there in the stratosphere. Like, yeah, there's yeah. nothing we can do. We just have to live with this weird white noise, ring the tele- technical inspector yeah. and be like, hey, what's up? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's sometimes, and sometimes, again, it's just the randomness of the weather, the universe, yeah, again, like, absolutely. controls yeah. how the radio works. And, and the then, live sense of that as well. Yeah, it's definitely. so many things that have to work, quote-unquote, have yeah, to work in any time or place. Yeah. Definitely. Like, particularly with live to ears, for example, which is – what I do, I run all the live to airs at Radio 1. So musicians will come in and they might not have all the right gear and then you've got to try and find the right gear for them or whatever. Or for some reason something breaks and then you have to you just have to make do with what, what you can. So yeah. I think the beauty of student radio is everything's a bit rough and ready. So people sure. come in knowing that things might be a bit rough and ready yeah, from yeah. their end or your end, depending on what's going on. For you sure. know, of course we try our best. And there's a, there's a sort but of yeah. a... Um, <laughs> What's the word? A, um, you know, uh, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, not a funny side to that, but just a, a do you know what I'm, An um, irony. Yeah, no, yeah. Or like, or like a, um, a humbleness or like a, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's student radio, like. It's a humility. It's not, it's, yeah, yeah, to that, you know, and, and not, not saying like that, that's guaranteed to be the scenario for any given guest at any given time, but, you no. know, like. Um, oh God, I hate when I can't think of the word, and I do that so often. <laughs> it's very, it's very um, student radio is very grounded. It's very grassroots. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like you know, and it's the it is the Dunedin Kiwi way, the ingenuity. Yeah. yeah. When things go wrong, you freestyle it basically. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's the fun of listening to local yeah. radio, that sort of thing as well. You know, and we do yeah. it all the time, and we love it. We're constantly playing around with things. Right now, our sort of state of the art system is we've taped a webcam to the window and so we have live green screen as opposed to like post-production green screen so that people get things all at once yeah yeah which is so fun yeah Um, it's cool when you can make things work like on a budget as well (laughs) yeah that's the best when you can find some solution for something without having to spend thousands of dollars of whatever gear and you can go this works this does the job and again just ties into the whole like yeah Oh, God. The word is on the tip of my tongue and I just cannot find it. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. I know it's all good. I totally um, know what you mean. Yeah. But how you, you've obviously, how long have you been working in radio now? I've been working in radio professionally for almost, oh, I would say a year and a half now. How have you yeah. found your presence? Do you think your presence socially has changed due to your position in radio absolutely if i can if i can say anything about doing what i do here is that i've actually found that i'm better in a social setting now because i've put myself in this place where i have to talk to someone for an extended period of time in your case when we met last week and spoke about 
you on radio, you're you're when you're talking to guests, it's it's a lot shorter. Yeah. So you're doing sort of brief interviews with these people. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that in itself has enabled or uh, sorry, not enabled, um, helped or jeopardized you outside of that socially? I think it's done both. Um, so back when I was a volunteer, before I was working professionally in production as the production manager, and now as the production manager, I don't do as much interviewing. But back when I was a volunteer, I did a lot of interviewing. Um, and yeah, I think I've had a mixture a mixture of things. I'm naturally quite an introverted person. I was a lot more extroverted when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But now I've noticed, um, particularly at a place like Radio 1, which is bustling with activity and is so fun, yeah. so much going on socially, you tend to come home and you're pretty exhausted. So the last thing you want to do is like go out again yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, socially sometimes. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I do love going out to gigs and stuff like that too. And I try and make the time and the energy to go to those. But mm-hmm. yeah, I find I just get very tired. Yeah. Um, at the end of a day, just from talking. Yeah, all the absolutely. Time. It's um, funny how that how much that can exhaust you in itself. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Even though I love it. Yeah. I love every aspect of it. But yeah, it's pretty tiring. And I think, I don't know about you. This is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but um, I found that COVID it made that to the extreme, like mm. post lockdown. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people kind of were mildly almost like just afraid to like go out in society again for a multitude of reasons. But then socially, everyone I think was a bit weird. Um, I think I was like pretty social during lockdown because I was always video chatting with people all the time. Mm. I loved it. It was great. Um, but it was also wonderful because you didn't have to leave your house. So I had more energy to actually socialize because I'd just flip in and out of windows on my on my yeah. laptop to talk to people. It's an introvert stream. It's an introvert stream. <laughs> it really is. You know, despite all the crap around it, yeah. it is an introvert stream. Yeah. Um. So coming back out of that was pretty like I was pretty shell shocked. Yeah. Um. Coming back into real life. Um. So socially, I was like super excited to get back out there and go to gigs and stuff. You know, go and sit outside at Woof or something like that, you mm. know, love it. Um, but at the same time, it was also terrifying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. weird. And I think I think most people could say the same. And yeah. And as lucky as we were to have had such a short lockdown in, in comparison to the rest of the world, that four weeks is still enough time to to really like sort of lose yourself in a in a social setting or, you know Absolutely. Like, to your point um specifically like um I felt I feel like in my experience in those four weeks, I was pretty okay. They're like the first couple of weeks was like actually pretty peaceful, pretty yeah. like, wow, this is actually a really calming opportunity to have mm-hmm. to be quite literally forced inside, forced to stay inside rather. Um, and then not have to really worry about or have any anxiety around seeing anyone or running into anyone on any on any given day, having to leave the house for for whatever reason, mm. and that was again really nice for those first couple of weeks. But as in my case, it was just myself and my flatmate, and two's not a crowd, three's no. a crowd, three would have been I think a much different experience to two. But that, like, I'm I'm really good friends with my flatmate. That don't get me wrong, don't let you get the idea that we don't get along, but <laughs> in that time we found ourselves too sort of spaced out or too individualized to the point that interaction between us alone became sort of 
lost, I guess. I totally feel that. You know, yeah. like we, we were so just used to being alone that even just there was sort of almost an obligation between each other that we were to hang out. Yeah. On any given yeah. day, you know. I noticed that during lockdown people would like – be posting like, look at these fun themed dinners we did with all mm. these people. But um, in my flat, we were like, some of us were working from home or studying, or mm. so like things went on as normal. Like, but we, you know, we're still kind of ships in the night as a flat. Like, yeah. we didn't do heaps together, um, as opposed to some flats that seem to do everything together all the time. Yeah. But it was like, life still needs to go on. You still need your own space. Exactly. It's not going to be like this merry sort of, you know fun party at home every day for that's everyone. Right, that's like. right. And it, and it might be for the first wee while. Oh, yeah. But um, what I what I uh, had brought this up for initially was just getting to that latter end of the of those four weeks, what actually sort of really trailed into six weeks because yeah. sort of we had a wee extension there that's sort of right. at the end. And then even level three sort of really felt like the same oh, for, totally. for a lot of people. But in that, in that uh, later part of the lockdown, it sort of felt as though um, you, you you do just start to lose touch with what reality was beforehand. You're like, Absolutely. initially it's like, this is a cool opportunity to be by myself and do this, this, or this and not have to worry about going out. Mm-hmm. And then that re- does actually start to set in negatively, I suppose. Oh, you start yeah. to think, oh my God, I'm stuck in this house. What am I actually going to do today? I'm already bored of the things that I yeah. thought I was going to love doing. And then, like, I, I, I don't, not to say I really was affected by the lockdown in that sense, mm-hmm. but there was, it was pretty close. It was getting to a point where, like, I think if it had been in another couple of weeks, it could have ended up being quite a different scenario. Yeah. And I'd be very interested to talk to someone in a country that was in, lo- like, someone in, in the UK that oh, was totally. in lockdown for months and months. Like, goodness me, that is a lot of time to be in a scenario that I was scared about almost being in. Yeah. And I'm not sure what that exactly is, but like I was saying, that relationship that I was having with my flatmate just sort of days just sort of became so routine yeah. and automatic that without having social parts of your life intertwined with being introverted and locked in at home, you do really start to go down a path of, again, I'm not sure what the word is or what you call it, but it, it does start to close in a wee bit and it you does. start to feel... Very narrow. Yeah, it, it does. It, it becomes a really weird reality that is nothing that we've ever really experienced before. No. Um, at least here in, in our country and what we're able to do um, and what we have access to and, and, and the people that we can see and be around. Having lost that, there's one thing when you have that available to you yeah. and you choose to ignore that. Yeah. And then there's another thing where you don't have that opportunity at all. That thing is not obtainable. Yeah. And that creates a whole different mindset around that. Because again, there's a there's a beauty in that initially being like, oh, you know, if you're if you're typically introverted and you and you don't go out much, the thought of staying at home when people are out in that gig can be quite nice in itself mm-hmm. to just go, I'm just gonna stay home today. On any given weekend, well, sorry, in, in a weekend in this lockdown, rather than saying oh, I'm going to stay in tonight, having to say, 
there's nothing for me to do tonight. Yes. <laughs> it's quite a different thing in itself, right? And you start to get yeah, I don't I don't know what you call it, but there it was it was dabbling on this point of like, okay, this is this is this could be a problem area, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Definitely. Yeah, it's a weird time to yeah. to analyze and something that I think we're forever gonna be talking about for the rest of our lives, you know. hundred percent. We will look back on this in decades going, remember, you know, I remember, you know, even just earlier on this year being like, This time last year we had just gone into like lockdown. Yeah. This time last year I was really really bored (laughs) this time last year i was really upset because i couldn't go i couldn't be in that music festival i was sitting in the park in the rain rather than i was like well if life was different i would have been playing a gig right now you know exactly exactly it was very odd very strange and saying that i cannot stress enough i don't know if this was the same for you how lucky and privileged i felt during lockdown absolutely Um, i was able to work from home um i didn't you know, I wasn't looking after a family or anything like mm. that. So, like, in that sense, I felt very, very lucky. Absolutely. Um, and there was nothing worse than just getting caught up. I had to really stop myself from just sitting there going, oh, my gosh, there's so many people where this is just, like, awful for them right now. Mm-hmm. Like, truly the worst thing um, you think about. Yeah. Some people, up to, like, 13 people living in a house at one time because – Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's so much. I was like, yeah. wow. Yeah. And, yeah. and the people that, um, you know, are in a scenario where they are reliant on or their, their job requires them to be somewhere. And, yeah. And, and, and the, the situation they'd be put in literally just stops anything from – stops their life from, from continuing in that, in that way. Yeah. Like, this is – you think about the amount of people that had to close businesses and things Absolutely. or became unemployed from that. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's like – and you're right, you're right. You definitely have to be grateful for the position that we had and the things that we have to be able to go, okay, this is a time for me to relax and then yeah. it'll be over soon and we can go back. It's just not mm. everyone had that mindset. No, I know heaps of people who got unemployed. Yeah. Awful. Terrible. I had a – I had a um, coming out of lockdown – a lot of the conversations that I was having with people was, um, you know, there, there was a, 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 you were obviously aware of, of people that were in different scenarios to your own. Yeah. But the typical conversation I was having was lockdown was great. You know, yeah. I had such a good time in lockdown because I did for the most part. Mm-hmm. But then I started thinking, maybe I shouldn't be saying that all the time because yeah. l- realistically lockdown as a whole was pretty awful for a lot of people weird and just a strange time strange thing to have to adapt to yeah which you know really really scared some people you think about how many people were the lines that you get at the supermarket for people freaking out about having to stock up for things because they were scared of something that was really not ever going to be that bad i guess in hindsight now that at least where we are we're out of it yeah for the most part, not out of it. I shouldn't say that, touch wood. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're lucky in the sense that we only had our short lockdown and we've been pretty much living normal lives, quote yeah. unquote, up until now through that, Absolutely. you know. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I was started to become very cautious about what I was saying in case, because the lockdown would have affected a lot of people quite negatively. I didn't want to say oh you know it was so great to have someone go no it was not yeah i lost my job or whatever you know like Mm -hmm. those conversations became quite 
they'd be quite careful around them, I think, because yeah. it is such a weird time and, and people's mental state do change quite a bit during that as well. Like I know myself had crazy anxiety when it first came out. Oh, you know, absolutely. Talking to my parents like, what's going to happen? What's the worst case scenario? And then mum saying, you'd die, worst case scenario. Yeah. And I go, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, that's an awful reality to have and that, that really changes people's thought process around everything. You know, it's a scary time. Absolutely. But, Enough yeah. COVID talk, I think. Enough COVID talk. If if I can if I can turn this into into something related to you, yeah. did you use your lockdown time? Um, what's the word? Productively, I suppose, in regards to your music. What did you? Is there something that you had set out to achieve that you'd done, or how did you find that time creatively? So funny looking back on it now because it was a year ago. Um, so before lockdown, I had written and recorded this album, which is coming out soon, 12th of July. Um, And so I was already kind of like settled and just mixing and kind of just dabbling away at it. And then lockdown happened and I didn't really have a lot of energy for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I decided to not have any goals over lockdown and just to hang out. But in that time I managed to write like another 13 or 14 songs um, and so I thought, oh, that would be my next album. <laughs> that's a solid effort. Yeah. That's, and now, the, that's yeah, a lot. It was yeah. a lot. But now a year later, I'm looking back on all those songs that I wrote during lockdown. I'm like, maybe half of them are still valid. Yeah, sure. Half of them are definitely like a bit crap. And that's still a good hit, right? You know, yeah. like, <laughs> in terms of like what is yeah. a really good song to you as an artist, like to be yeah. able to make 13 songs and have all of them be absolutely fantastic absolutely. in your own mind that's that's quite an achievement like yeah. I, th- I would almost say impossible for the most part yeah so i sort of started remixing after that i mm. tend to do a lot of like remixes of my songs where i will take i'm like i like this bit i like this bit from this song i like this bit from that song and then i kind of merge them into this sort of mutant mm. song and then press them through a couple of times it's like you know putting different doughs together sure. and merging them all together that's and then cool it makes it. this yeah, yeah. kind of weird sort of amalgamation of a new song that mm. often in the end doesn't even sound anything like the original. But yeah, right. But that's the fun of it, right? Yeah. Like finding out what comes out of that mishmash. Yeah. Absolutely. I weirdly for a long time, particularly as a child, had this anxiety that we would run out of songs in the world. We'd just run out of combinations <laughs> of melodies and rhythms mm. and eventually every song would sound the same, which some people could argue kind of do depending on what genre you yeah. are putting yourself in and what kind of how you take things. Um, but yeah, I, I became kind of frightened of that. So I was also frightened of the idea of writing all of these songs and they'll never be heard. Mm. And I was like, well, oh no, what am I going to do? So that's when I started this weird like recycling thing and it's now just part of my creative process. Mm. Is It's like my mum is an amazing sewer and uh, is in the sustainability department at uni. Um, and so um, she's always talking about clothing sustainability and mm. using up what we have in terms of scraps and recycling and repurposing. And so I find myself just absent sort of now just doing that with my music right. as well. Yeah, so trying to make use of everything that I that I make, even though technically most of what I'm making is not even physical because it's not even like I've recorded them professionally mm. or made them sound nice. It'll just be some voice recordings and a little bit of scribbling on a bit of paper. Yeah. But I then just it's all just rearranging in my head all the time. So does everything that you um, create or start with come into place somehow? Like I guess my question is how much 
do you discard during your process? Um, depends. Um, I couldn't put like an actual number on it because every song's different. Yeah. Sometimes I guess another way to ask the question would be how much of the ideas that you have, if any, do come to light and you see that through to the end? Um, I'd say about 20%. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose it's ever evolving, right? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I think that's the other thing is it's hard to keep up with yourself. Um, I feel like I'm always ever evolving. Um, yeah, it's actually one of the lines and one of the songs that's coming out on the album is sort of, I can't keep up. Basically, I think I said something like, I can't keep up with myself. I can't remember mm. the exact song mm. off the top of my head, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, I think I said something like, no clue where I'm going. All I know is that it's golden. Um, mm. I can't keep up kind of with my own self, basically. And that's just that. That's just the reality of it. Is there's just, you know, a lot of creativity going on and I can't keep up with it all. Um, to a point up until this year, I think, um, I all of a sudden... Had a, I've had a real dip in my creativity recently. And I think it's just because I've been putting all my energy into putting this album out. And mm-hmm. it's like my brain said, no, 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 you're not allowed to do anything until the album's released now. Yeah. you got to hold back. <laughs> you got to hold back now. Once the album's released, then you can start mm. getting back into stuff creative again. But until then, you're not allowed. Absolutely. It's and it's, so it's, funny. It's quite a, it's quite a, um, a long period, really, from getting from that very start process about an idea and then getting right through, especially like music specifically, how much technical stuff does have to go into the production side of things and the mixing, mastering to yeah. get it to the end. And then you've got videos to shoot and you've got um, publicity to prepare for and, you know, social media and everything. There's a lot that goes into it. So it's natural, I think, as a creative person to, you know, want to start something else entirely because yeah. I can imagine that when you're making an album, because it's so can be so drawn out, those ideas that are within that album, even though it's what you may have set out to achieve and you think you've done it to the best of your ability, can still become stale, you know, because Absolutely. it's your own work. You Absolutely. Know? And you want to just sort of venture off. Like I've I've talked to a couple of musicians here on the show that have often said in the process of making an EP or an album that they've sort of put it aside for a bit to try something new and then the new thing has sort of become part of the album. Absolutely. So that there's a fresh you keep having a fresher element to the to the work, you know? Yeah. Do you find that the songs that you've prepared for this album can you relate to that sense at all? Do you find that like you've really done what you want to do with it? Absolutely. So I think most of the songs for this album I wrote about three or four years ago now, which is crazy. Yeah, that's, that's insane. It's me. insane. <laughs> um, not all of them, but a lot of them are. Um, and so basically what I've done to keep them fresh is as someone who also does a lot of mixing and is very passionate about um, engineering is I've brought them up to date, so to speak, mm. um, through my mixing. So what started out as like potentially quite a simple sort of song has turned into something a bit more upbeat and a bit more crazy because I've added, you know, fun like percussive elements to sure. it or really interesting reverb and delay um, just to like bring these songs to a new level. And that's something for me as a musician as well. It's not just about the songs themselves is it really is about the productions. And yeah. while I love playing live and love all of that too, my art, uh, I think, personally lies in my production skills because I'm 
mostly I don't I play a little bit of music, but mostly I am a vocalist mm-hmm. and a sound engineer and a composer. So most of my stuff comes from that. So yeah. I really like I feel like the final product, the final actual tracks that you listen to, the actual, you know, sort of <laughs> dots and dashes and binary code, so to speak. That is my music, you yeah. know? Yeah, If you really sure. strip it down to that. Um, yeah. Every single bit of um, vocal treatment to how the guitars are panned, everything, that is all encompassing of the art mm-hmm. um, rather than just like the song itself with the lyrics and the chords, yeah. you know? And people will focus differently on aspects of the music as well. Yeah, totally. Um, if, when, when I listen to music, I'm, I'm pretty much initially purely listening to instrumentation. Yeah. Lyrical content doesn't often set in with me and after until after a couple of listens when Same. I've actually turned my focus onto that instead. Um, I was lucky enough to have you sent me your single that is being released tomorrow and I had listened to that this morning a couple of times over and the first listen through, every, all my focus was purely on the instrumentation mm-hmm. and the vocals as much as the lyrical content was there and I understood it, my main focus was on the vocals as an instrument intertwined with everything else. Mm. So as the song builds up to the end, I'm not I'm sure I won't be giving anything away, but the the climax that it comes to and the instrumentation used in that sort of final chorus when it comes in is quite powerful. And I think mm. if Thank that's you. what you've you're striving to achieve, I think that really does send quite a message what am I saying what you what you've just said just makes sense as to how I've perceived that song I think you've actually been able to communicate that quite well um, and then through the second time listening that's when I sort of focus more on the lyrical content and then the song sort of changes yeah at least for me because again first listen is sort of the I guess the the org, uh, what would be the word? Yeah, instrumentation, really. Mm-hmm. That's that's my main. So the feel of the song is based around what that fits into. And just in terms of just the general, your your initial idea of what you perceive the song to be or how it makes you feel purely lies within that, personally. And then once I'd sort of looked more into the lyrical content and read the bio related to the song, and then I could piece bits of what, your perception of the theme of the song was perception, interesting word to use. I would guess when you're talking about lyrical content, but mm. you, you can still have ideas or take certain lines out of context and relate that to your own life as a listener. Absolutely. But then once you have an understanding of what the artist has set out to achieve and then you relate that back, it's sort of you almost have to go and listen to it again because yeah. then it becomes this whole other thing in itself, which is really cool. So I, I – I think it's an amazing song oh, and I thoroughly you. enjoyed it. And, and you really do have an amazing voice and, oh, and, <laughs> and, and it really does become, there's one thing to, to listen to a song and, and have like as prominent as your vocals are, they're still so intertwined with everything else that it, it does feel like it's one, I suppose, mm. rather than sort of having that focus. The, the, where, where the vocals are mixed allows you to be able to take the song in, in those two parts. You can listen to it as an instrumentation 
you know, you can listen to that purely as the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Here I go again, figuring out <laughs> words. Um, or you can, you can listen to it purely for what the vocals are presenting, but they, they fuse so well that there's not one huge focus on either raw and yeah. you can sort of listen to it in a different way, which I thought was quite fascinating. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and Thank I mean, you. It's, it's interesting trying to sort of like analyse how you perceive music and, and your own content as well. And you play everything? No. You compose everything that's compo- in the tune? I compose everything. Um, so this album was actually also part of my honours project. So right. I composed everything. Every single drum beat, pretty much. Every single guitar riff, pretty much. Of course, the instrumentalists could yeah. do their own, have their own spin. My friends had their own spin on things. But um, yeah, I wrote Every, absolutely everything. Oh, okay. You yeah, you wrote so everything. I wrote but everything. What's, what's being recorded? So what's being recorded is then. So that basically, I've had with. working. Yeah. So for example, Hamish Morgan, not on this track, but um, it was actually my friend Mike who drummed on this track. But my friend Hamish Morgan, who's in Marlin Streaming, he did most of the drumming for most of the album, mm. and so he would sit down in the studio and he had like some basic tracks, MIDI tracks that I had made. Mm-hmm. For him to listen to, uh, and a bit of drum music to li- like read, sort yep. of roughly, and then he basically had to just do every single note, basically that I'd written down because I'd written it all down as sheet music, every single part, oh, the piano part, the, sheet the bass part, yeah, drums, guitar, everything, vocals, everything was written down, scored attentively. Yep. Um, at the time, it was twelve songs, now it's eleven songs, um, but yeah, it was. It was huge. <laughs> That's cool. It's yeah. it's it's so it sounds like you're very regimented in in how I suppose this this can be really said about any any musician um, taking this sort of approach. But these are the sort of the questions I ask, not being a musician, and what I yeah. sort of find fascinating about the about the process. So when you're, I suppose to get, to get to that point where you have everything lined out. How much of that has been sort of um, spontaneous or something that has sort of happened throughout the process? I guess I guess my question is how getting from from a, an idea that you have for a song and getting that to the end, how much changes in the process? Like how much does the process, the project rather, become different from where it started if that makes sense do you find that like what you've thought about really has come to light or has it changed into something new and exciting and different from what you sort of started from if that makes sense I think it's very much changed to something new and exciting um when I write music I mostly write it in my head and it's got everything from the way that the bass is mixed like everything is just mm. comes at once in my head. Like it's not like little bits. It's often everything at once. Um, so then it's just getting this pure song. I wish sometimes I could stab a freaking USB into my head and just download it. One um, day. <laughs> one day. That'd be great. Um, because then <laughs> I'd be just putting out stuff all the time. Yeah. Didn't know, that, might not be, that might not be a good thing. Um, but yeah, because I'm just constantly, that's how music comes to me. Um, That's so crazy. And yeah, so it's kind of it was just taking that and then having to sneeze it out onto sheet music yeah. to meet the curriculum of the honors composition paper. Um, and then at the same time, be like, this feels really rigid and regimented. And I 
feel a bit weird about this because most of the time I find music a very organic process and working like that was at times kind of weird, but I had to do it in order to, you know, get the marks, get yeah, the ticks. for sure. Um, I don't think I'll do it that way ever again. Yeah, I'll I was going to say, how, <laughs> how, do you, how did you find that affected you quite um, creatively? Was that quite a, 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 a what's the word? It was pretty hard. Yeah. It was really hard. I think I'm very happy with the mark I got, but I would never actually do it like that. And yeah. Real life, you could put in quotation marks, even though I did actually, a lot of people with their projects they do for composition, they tend to just, they do it for composition class and that's it. But mm. I was like, no, I'm going to make a whole thing out of this. Like I have access to this beautiful studio, which they then knocked down. I was actually the final <laughs> album recorded in Albany Street Studios. Wow. And then that's they knocked it down to do asbestos. So I was very, very lucky to be able to use this beautiful studio and have connections through my my music production, sound engineering part mm. of my degree, and then apply it to my composition part of my honours degree, merge the two together and have this album basically made mm. in this honours year, um, which was amazing. Um, and so, yeah, it was pretty weird though. Like there were definitely moments where I was just sitting at my computer on Sibelius, which is the music software used mm -hmm. to write sheet music, going, this is stupid. I don't want to notate the exact intricacies of how I'm going to sing this yeah, word yeah. because it's all over the place and I'll be putting in stupid notes yeah. that sound stupid when the computer spits it back in its MIDI form because yeah. um, it spits it back at you, which is quite handy, but at the same time it was pretty painful. Yeah. Pretty painful. Um, but, yeah, it was still really fun and it made me look at all the music really differently. But in the end, to answer your question – I was really happy when the magic really came down to what happened in the studio. Absolutely. So I would get my friend Connor Blackie, who's in Quizilla and Dale Kerrigan and a few other things. He would, um, you know, we just got out all of his pedals and NAMP and had a lot of fun. Mm. We made a lot of textures, so I just got him to play random things, do a lot of feedback, do random stuff with the guitar to get these cool textures that I then just dropped into other songs here and there just to add this sort of flavor. strange flavor in yeah. life. I love it. I, it's like a sheen over mm. the a sheen over the music. You know, it's like a putting a oh, what's the word? It's like putting polish like a, shell, a shellac yeah, or a yeah, polish. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, over the top, and I love it. I love it. Um, so I love doing stuff like that. So that's when I had a lot of fun. Same with my voice, as I just layer things up mm. and up and up and up, as you'll know in, in Moonlit. Well, yeah, that yeah. was, I think, part of what I was talking about, that sort of cli that climax, like yeah. the, how the vocal layers really do come into play is really powerful. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I guess when this comes out, the Moonlit will be out. Yes, it yes, will be, because that's be cool. out tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so, so this will probably be out later in the week. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, I just build... Just kept layering and layering and layering things up, yeah. which was so fun. Same with drums was we would just do these cool – we just recorded a bunch of weird drum sounds, particularly like with the, you know, the soft mallets, which are the big puffy drumsticks mm. that look like little marshmallows. And we would do these big, beautiful like cymbal and yeah. rolls and stuff, and I would just add that to random bits of the album and just stuff like that, which was really fun. And I love – that's why I love doing sound engineering and love being a musician is – the studio is so fun. And then I just take it all to my door, which is I use Pro Tools, and I just would layer things up like a big patchwork quilt, mm. basically, literally because there'd be different colours for the different tracks. Yeah. It was very exciting, and I'd just 
get really, really nerdy and throw all my plugins on there. And yeah, that, that is fun. In yeah. Itself, you know? Make <laughs> things sound different. And yeah. Absolutely. And I was very lucky to work with um, my mentor, Mike Holland, who is um, one of the lecturers at uni, um, out of uni. Um, we actually became really good friends because then I graduated a few years ago after that honours thing. And so for the past two years, um, he and I have been just kind of mixing the album together in the new studio, which is very beautiful um, and very big, and I love it. So I feel really lucky to have recorded, been the last album to record in the old studio, and then been able to mix in the new studio at uni, which was really cool. Um, and we basically just sat down and had so much fun. We would just sit down, you know, for an evening and try and get as much as we could into a song. I would do these pretty good rip mixes beforehand and then we'd, he'd come in and with his even nicer plugins <laughs> and would just clean it all up yeah. and make it this like really awesome crazy sounding thing um so because of that the album originally started out sounding quite sort of a bit softer i think and then by the time mike and i had finished with it it was chaotic and beautiful mm. and has turned into this mutant monster yeah um, which I am so happy with. <laughs> I think it sounds way cooler. It's cool to see, um, <laughs> like I was sort of saying before, how um, do you think sort of these aspects of the music that becomes stale or, do you, or you know, you find that over time you sort of get so used to how something sounds that, you know, it becomes, it's sort of like, okay, this this is what it is now. Having that other person involved to be able to sort of adapt things maybe in a way that perhaps you hadn't thought of or do do the th- or add something that you had wanted but in a slightly different way to get a new effect that you hadn't envisioned is quite exciting as well so exciting. to see other elements come into play that you sort of necessarily hadn't thought of because i i find that this is not in my experience but i would i presume or in relation to other things that i do i find that other people's input or my, I guess my point is my ideas become a lot, become very stale very quickly in the process, and it's hard for me to sort of branch out from what I thought the original idea was, or what yeah. what what was exciting about an idea becomes stale very quickly because I couldn't adapt it or evolve it into something further. Yeah, and I feel like that can always be achieved, and without me having sort of any insight into what it is that I'm doing or what it actually is involved to create that thing you sort of come to a, a stalemate with it and there's only going to be well again my, my point is more it's more exciting i guess seeing someone else's art sometimes than your own yeah totally and having someone else's influence or something doesn't become stale because it's someone else's idea, Absolutely. not your own. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like when you cook a meal and to the other people you serve it to, it tastes way better than it does to you yeah. because you've been sitting in the kitchen smelling the smells yeah, exactly. from the very beginning of the process to the very end. It's the same thing, very it's much. It's an amazing way to put it. Yeah. yeah, it's like that. I think especially because it's I'm Adelaide Cara. I'm the solo, in quotation marks, musician um, who – Again, I will be perfectly honest, um, cannot just sit up on a stage and play a guitar or play the piano mm. with just me and that um, and sing because I do not have the skills for that. So having other people is really, really crucial to my work. Um, so even though there's kind of this weird thing where it's Adelaide Cara, a solo thing, 
that I've done for this album, who knows what it might morph into later mm. into more of a collaborative thing. Um, I did get quite lonely at times. And so having people like Mike and then my friends on the album, Georgie, Josh, Connor, Hamish, Olive, um, heaps of other people, um, was really important um, to making that a really fun process. Um, something I will never wish upon my worst enemy is being stuck in a tiny vocal room day in and day out for a couple of weeks recording vocal takes by yourself. Mm. And it's a dark room. There's no windows. Going out for a lunch break, going back in, doing my vo vocal takes. Uh, my mental health was so bad during that time and I regret not having someone help me with that. <laughs> and I will never do that again and I never wish it upon my worst enemy. It's the most horrible thing <laughs> doing that. It was awful. Um, and so even though like out of that has come some very beautiful vocal moments on the album. Um, that, that was my next question actually, yeah. Really painful, you know, I think some of it was almost, no, that's not the right word. I wouldn't use that term. Not masochistic, but kind of like I just so happened to find myself in a very vulnerable place. And while I wouldn't do that on purpose because it's not very healthy, it just it was interesting that that was what happened, what mm. came out of it, and that some of the vocals on the album genuinely sound quite vulnerable because it was a very – it was legitimate. Like mm. it was a very legitimate performance. Um, sometimes when I sing these songs now – I have to go back to that place to sing them and that can be quite hard. So I have to try and reinvent them and sing them in a way that isn't going to harm me mentally. Um, but yeah, it was very interesting that at the time quite a lot of the songs on the album sound pretty, pretty intense because mm. they were. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was really intense. Yeah. And, and perhaps, you know, in hindsight, mm. not to sort of, I apologize, not to um, romanticize that concept as a whole, because obviously that was something that was hard for you to go through. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, the, uh, it, 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 it must create a, a, a pure element to the music through actually creating emotion in that process from doing it, right? Absolutely. Especially if it's something that is personal to you and you really actually see some emotion come to light. Again, not romanticizing it but that's Absolutely. almost like a powerful element in its own and makes the art more impactful yeah. at least with that knowledge you know and more sentimental to you which I think really is what art is about as a whole is yeah. to be able to actually find something that resonates with yourself or experiencing or trying to utilize aspects of what creates that feeling for you and putting it into the art you know yeah definitely I think also as a first album, there was a lot I wanted to say and a lot I wanted to put out there. And I think that's why this album is like super vulnerable mm. is because, you know, it was the first, it's the first time I'm able to speak about what's happened to me mm. in a way that I can process really actually quite healthily, even though at times it was pretty, pretty dark to process. Mm. Um, but on the whole, yeah. Yeah, it felt really good. Felt very cathartic, up uh, beyond the pain of mm. <laughs> being by yourself in a studio doing vocal takes. Mm. And I think, yeah, what made it the 
situation so much better was then bringing in friends to play other instruments and mix and help me with it. In Absolutely. The end. And then that next step was bringing in friends to help with music videos and promotion mm. and stuff and just constantly bringing in people around you to listen to it over and over again. I don't know how many times my best friend has listened to the album. Yeah. Like from the very beginning and the rough cut all the way to now. Like, that's, the, that's the best motivation I think anyone could ask for is just having close friends give you praise and, yeah. for, you know, for what you do. Totally. That's, that's, you know, it's, I couldn't ever imagine starting something creatively by yourself in a room yeah. and getting that to an end result without having someone else say something about it, you know, because you Absolutely. don't, you don't know where you even go in your own mind sometimes, Absolutely. you know, and yeah. you've got to, or you've got to almost have points where, um, you sort of, you need feedback to be able to take it in perhaps a direction that is more maybe broad or, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, Actually, well, no, to counter what I'm thinking, how do, how would you feel about how art is created through purely just one person? So if you if you if you were to come from the very start to the end of a project by yourself and experiencing these emotions and these mm-hmm. these things do you think that creates more of a pure art form or a pure individualized art form as opposed to something that has been affected by your peers? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It reminds me of um, um, Fiona Apple released an album last year and before that she didn't listen to any new music for five years. Really? um, While she made that album, which is crazy. She could listen to old music but she couldn't listen to anything new Mm. she had this whole thing and that was because she wanted to retain the purity and not be affected by what was going on in the world in terms of trends and stuff yeah so that's a sort of a little bit of different but i kind of that's immediately what i thought of thought of um i don't know i think it would be a lot purer if you just made the art all by yourself and didn't have any input it would be a fun experiment and something that yeah. I think personally I would be willing to try, maybe with one song, not a whole album. Yeah, 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 because um, that is a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that would be quite fun. Um, I think the art would be a lot – it would be purer, but also in a way, as we've talked about earlier, there would be a lot of second-guessing you would be doing yourself. You'd have to be very, very sure of yourself mm. and be very, very strong and convicted with what you were trying to say yeah. because you wouldn't want to be able to – you know, back down on it and if things get stale, you'd have to be willing to reason with yourself and collaborate with yourself essentially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be purer, but I think I think collaboration is important. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, particularly with music. I know for probably drawing and painting and art, sort of fine art like that, I think, you know, I'm just thinking here, looking around your studio, I'm sure you spend a lot of time on your own. Mm. Um painting all by yourself exclusively Exclusively. (laughs) like it's a whole different it's a whole different ball game but i think with music i think it's i think collaborations are definitely the way to go yeah if you can and i think i asked that question based on that fact specifically that in my creative process it is just me yeah and so i feel like whatever is created whether i like it or not it's just me yeah and so the downside to that is that my perception of the work can be 
diminished because every decision that has gone into the painting, the work, whatever, is is purely just my own mind. So I do think that that is what makes the art pure. But you're right, I think with music, I think it could still be applied. Definitely. But, you know, because the process is a lot more drawn out, this is obviously quite different to people because for, for me a, a painting doesn't really take me I don't spend more than a day or two on it it's very it's very brief it's very mm. what happens in the moment so I have the totally. beauty of that to be able to create something in a time period or in a headspace I guess and so that art becomes from a, a feeling or emotion at that time as opposed to an idea or theme that is taking you a bit longer yeah. in, in the music to 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 get to that point so there's 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 too much time involved in sort of keeping the theme where it is, and there'll probably be days throughout the process I can imagine where you're not quite in the right headspace to continue working on this specific song or adding in a certain element to this track, or even just being in a, a state of mind where you want to work on music on that day, you know? Yeah. And so it fluctuates, and I think that's where your mind will start to wander, and I feel like that could either lead to really, really intense art, but could also really lead to something that is that is lost. Yeah. But it's all dependent on how you perceive that because if you if you get to an end point with something that you've gotten to by yourself, then I feel like and 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 what the art represents is it makes sense to you and and you feel comfortable with that and you've achieved something to the best of your ability on your own, regardless of what other people think. If you think it's good art, I feel like that's really what is good art because you can look at something so abstract um, in the in the visual art world, in the music world, in the art world in general. You can look at something, it's all subjective, right? So everyone's yeah. going to look at something in their own way if you don't sort of allow the time to look at something more intently or discover the process that's gone into it that can easily affect art. And I've noticed that recently that I do take a lot of things for face value, mm-hmm. which is I think probably the case for a lot of people sort of our age that have shorter attention spans, you know, we sort of evolved this mindset of, of getting content in quickly. And that sort of doesn't allow for that sort of intense attentiveness to the work itself. You think about like with music, used to go out and buy a record, not that I've done this, but oh you go gosh, out and buy yes. a record, you take it home, you, you know, it, it's not like you just skip tracks or anything. You no. have to really absorb the work, you know, yeah. in a time and place and, and you don't have much control over playback. So you're sort of subjected to this, to this art form. And I think that's why a lot of people still sort of rave on or have record collections or rave on about music back in the day because they had more of an opportunity to actually experience music because I feel like I'm definitely guilty of this of just like putting on a new album from someone that I like or just listening to a friend's music and being really complacent I guess about how I'm listening. Yeah, I feel like the art form of the album is dying. People talk about this all the time Mm. Um, and it's dying because – you know, we're coming into a, into a realm at the moment, I think. It might change again. 
um, where people were making like playlist, they're making playlist albums, which are like mm. 17 songs long. Mm. And they're like heaps of different things with no like concept or theme woven throughout. Or they're doing EPs or just singles. Yeah. Because the idea of doing an album based on one theme for a whole long period of time. And I know this having just done this, um, I'm actually, I realize I said 11, but it's actually now chopped down to 10 songs. Not mm-hmm. from, went from 12 to 10. Um, it's, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of energy doing a traditional, a traditional in quotation marks album. Um, you know, the, the traditional album is 12 songs because that was the length of LPs and, you know, flipping things over and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, because of streaming services, we can we can put albums on shuffle. Yeah. We can have these big playlist albums. We can just listen to EPs and throw them into a playlist. Spotify mm. is also, I feel like particularly Spotify, is designed in a way where it is designed for a shorter attention span and they will try their best to not have you play a hel- album the whole mm. way through mm. Not on shuffle. Yeah. They will always try and lead you to different playlists and give you this wider range of listening to heaps of different artists Definitely. rather than just listening to one artist. That's right. And it drives me insane. Yeah. It's such a thing that I talk about all the time. But yeah, um, it's such a thing. And so I think, yeah, this sort of album, this art of the album is dying. And I think on one hand, it's because we have these shorter attention spans and we've now put in a world where we listen to music. Most of us listen to music in a very different way from earlier. Mm. But also at the same time, like, it is really hard. We were like, well, it's harder to make these long albums. Let's just make EPs. I know that I'm definitely looking forward to making an EP mm. <laughs> at some point because it's really short. <laughs> yeah. And then you can really, like, concentrate into a small amount of thing and then move on to another project. Yeah, I think it's almost too accessible Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Like there is beauty in being able to listen to whatever you want, whenever you want it. And I also find there's, there's um, definitely points where, you know, there's different times and places to listen to different kinds of music and things yeah. as well. Like I, I, I agree with you about like the, the playlist thing, like taking away sort of like the, the – um, purity I guess or or the experience you get from listening to one artist project front to back Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also something about being sort of introduced to more artists as well through that too so I find there's a sort of a fine line and I sort of like it's a a two-sided coin yeah yeah and you know when you get your your Spotify wrapped thing at the end of the year yeah I notice they have this thing now where they go like they'll pick like your favorite artist and they'll make a playlist based off that artist yeah which is cool because then I get to discover more content and then around that but yeah like you say it's also like it's not individualized or like now there's sort of this you know, if it's a specific artist playlist with other musicians in it, you sort of start to label others under someone else's category in Absolutely. a way, which can also take, because it's like, you might listen to that playlist and another artist comes on, like, oh, it just sounds like them. Yeah, You know, and then totally. you don't investigate that person because there's already, they've been pushed into this genre or whatever yeah. based around someone else's ideas, which seems odd as well. Yeah. It's just another art pop star. Yeah. Just another chamber pop person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I can't remember the last time that I listened to an album front to back, to be yeah. honest. I've started listening to albums front to back more. Um, 
I made friends with someone last year who's become like one of my closest friends now. And that's how they don't have Spotify. They are one of those great people that still goes out and buys CDs Mm. and vinyl from relics. They will listen to something a little bit on Spotify and then they'll go out and buy a CD and they'll listen to that the whole way through. And they'll listen to it a few times um, the whole way through. Mm. And I love that. And I applaud them for that. And because of that, I've been inspired to do my own listening in that way. And that's been really fun. And I've discovered heaps more artists like in deep dives now that Mm -hmm. I just was like, oh, they're cool. Whereas now I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so enraptured in this music and it means so much more. But at the same time, don't get me wrong, I love playlists. I have synesthesia, so I have playlists sorted by color and key to suit my mood. So, um, because with my synesthesia, I see um, it's a brain mutation where I can see color and sound at the same time. They cross over. I've had it my whole life. I don't know where it comes from. Again, it's just that it's a brain mutation. Mm. So it helps me a lot with my music. So I have these al- I have like these playlists that are like D Apricot, and it's all my songs that are apricot colored go into that album, <laughs> go into that playlist. Or, you know, my favourite, of course, is D-flat, C-sharp, and that is the note. And that corresponds with this opaly sheen that I that elicits when I hear that particular note or that particular key. So then there's all these songs thrown in that category. And it's just it's amazing. It's oh. so fun. <laughs> I love it. And so that's why I like playlists because – you're not going to have one artist that does everything all in the same key, mm. even though I have considered doing that. Um, <laughs> so it is awesome when you're able to just like put on a playlist that evokes a certain mood or like we all have that autumn playlist, mm. you know, <laughs> we all have that chill, calm playlist, yeah, you know, yeah. and I think that's really important and really great. But yeah, yeah, it's a whole thing. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, I have synesthesia. Yeah, yeah wow. so I, I didn't actually really know it was called that until you said it. But I've I've been familiar with the concept. I think. Yeah. So how does that come into the process for you musically? Like, how does that? You were talking about before about when you're arranging things, there's colours and things involved, and where things lie, and, and yeah. your and your um mm-hmm. your patchwork. You know, yeah, as, yeah, as yeah. you put it. How do, how does that how does that work for you? I guess. Yeah. So um. On all sorts of ways. I it's I think that's where you and I can have a lot in common, actually, because for me, it's always been this way ever since I can remember. I don't know what life is like without it. I don't know what it's like for other people. Mm. I Literally up until the age of 10, I thought everyone had it mm. until I started being open and being like, oh, so like... Does, you know, I love it when the train goes past and it's like f- it's on flames or something. People are like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the, the train's on, on fire. Like, what are you talking about? And then I realized that it was just because car train horns are G and they're orange. And oh. they, it's like a, yeah. <laughs> and oh, it's that color. Right. <laughs> it's an orange color. So I was like, oh, okay. I am the only one that has that in oh, this wow. way. Cool. All right. But um, it's stuff like that. But yeah, so when I'm making music, it's all painting. It's all painting. So are you looking at, um, do you know that? Do you associate the color with the sound in that in that order, order, or do you have like a color scheme that you want to achieve that then produces sound? No, it's usually the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm usually like, it's mostly just like, oh, well, kind of. Sometimes I'm like, I really want to 
because also even though like so it's involuntary this the term is involuntary as in i can't control it mm. it happens all the time mm. i can't turn it off i can't turn it on it's always there in the background but then what i can do that is voluntary is associate feelings with those colors and mm. with those sounds so for example um c sharp slash d flat is this opaly ooh opaly color that has this beautiful shimmer through it it's not even one color and I always just feel incredible, like sublime whenever I hear it, to the point where it's actually tattooed on my ear, the um, frequency number. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And it's the exact frequency of middle D flat slash C sharp. Yeah. Um, I love it. It's, yeah. So I'm just obsessed with this key and this feeling and this mm. opaly feeling. As a child, I would lie in the bath and hear it, and it was just the sound of the pipes, and I called it fairy music. Um, so yeah, sometimes I'm wanting to like, I will go, I want the feeling of the song, like the feeling I get when I hear D flat and mm. C sharp. And so I will try and paint within this opaly ripley sort of thing while I'm all tootle around on the piano and in my brain, this kind of beautiful shimmery, like blues and greens and the opal put through it and you know, shimmery bits of gold here and some silver there to try and get this like beautiful sort of palette of shimmering stuff so that when I listen to the music, it elicits this beautiful hmm. shimmering feeling. Does the, does the color scheme have an immediate association to a key? If you were to start with an, with, with this, a C sharp, like you're saying, yeah. and that's a certain color, yeah. will another color be sort of intertwined in that or does that is there sort of randomness in that as well there's randomness but it's also intertwined yeah. so for example if i wrote a song in g major um that would be like pretty primarily an orange song but then within that i would put in different chords and different notes of course obviously because that's what songs are with lots of different chords and notes mm. um everything would kind of just stay mostly within the shades of orange but there would of course like there is that randomness and like little bits here and there but like particularly if i shift to different tone centers and play like around with things like shifting into different keys and shifting different chords which is something that is pretty common in my music is I will stay within one key but then I'll have these random sort of chords that kind of fit in with the key but kind of don't um and so that's what I get that's where I get these turns of colors um they feel like these sort of turns in the music they shift mm. how you feel in the music um I think for a listener who doesn't have synesthesia, they would notice the mood change as much as I do with the colour change being so dramatic for me. Right. Yeah. So if you're um, – you obviously have a pretty core knowledge on keys and, yeah. and, and where to be with music in the, in the sort of, um, you know, textbook sense, I suppose. <laughs> do Do you find that when if – you're, if, you're, if you've got a theme that you've – um, or a melody or a vocal passage or whatever it is that you've got there and you're adding another element to that, whether it be guitar or piano or whatever, because mm -hmm. you, you can play guitar and piano, I presume. Play a little bit of piano, not much guitar. Yeah. So if you're playing piano over something, are you are you playing until the colour emerges or do you already know the key that you're playing and sort of the colour is just, you just have the immediate association with it? Does yeah. that make sense? Yes. Yeah, so You're not just going, hmm, orange. Yeah. No, I'm not doing that. It's always orange. Yeah. 
you know um, where you're going. Straight I know away. where I'm going yeah. straight away. I'll play around with things though all the time, sure. but like mostly I know where I'm going. But it is yeah. But then every now and then I'll deviate. Mm, I do love playing around though. Mm. I'll, I do a lot of noodling at the piano and yeah, yeah. just figuring things out. And that's when that's how some of my best sort of stuff has developed from is yeah. just noodling and then just that organic that organic discovery. feeling, yeah. the organic discovery as opposed to. Yeah, just sitting down, like I have to write a song on this vibe. It's it is mm. great when it's just That's this organic, shimmery. I've definitely, I've definitely, um, like can associate a color with something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen, like, I saw this post um, on Instagram one time that it was like someone had just posted, you know, English is red, math is blue, science oh, yeah. is green, history is yellow, or something. Yeah, and immediately I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. English is red to me. Math is blue to me. Mm-hmm. Goodness knows why. But, and I feel like I can do that with songs too. Totally. If you were to ask me what color the song was, I for myself could choose a color that I seem fit with that song. Yeah. And I guess, I guess I'm just sort of trying to relate to how you feel. I know that's totally, I guess, I guess you have that as well, but it's, it's not really a deciding it's there, right? It's there. Yeah. I can't decide. It's immediately like, as soon as you hear something, there's a color. Yeah. yeah. But so I'll, associ- I'll associate with it. So like, for example, C major is a very simple, simple key. I'm trying to speak in layman's terms. It's <laughs> good. It's good for, the, um, for me and the listener. Um, it's roughly, that's roughly C major. Um, so, and when you're playing on a piano and when you're playing in any key, there's no, like, it's a pretty easy key, uh, thing to play because there's no like notes that are like different. Like there's no sharps or flats, which people call them accidentals. So everything is very easy to just run your hands up and down the piano or whatever. Um, and so because of that, it seems, C seems very simple. A lot of like kids music is written in this key because Mm -hmm. it's easy to play. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's a simplicity with that key. So I think it's really interesting that the color for me for C major is yellow. Um, so I always associate that color with coming home and this simplicity. Um, and so that that's applied to heaps of any song that I have in C major usually is associated with some kind of simplicity in terms of the theme or coming home in terms of the yeah theme or the music. Mm. Yeah, just like there's always like little stories behind each key. Yeah. Like – B flat is just for some reason silver. Again, it's, it was all decided for me, apparently. Mm. Um, research has gone to show that it actually isn't something you're born with, technically, they, they've worked out. It is just something that develops very, very quickly within the first couple of months of right. your life, basically. Right. So at some point within the first few months of my life, my brain had settled on all of this being the case. <laughs> <laughs> so fascinating. <laughs> Which is crazy. Mm, yeah. Um they have linked some genetic stuff to it, but like it's not like you f- it's not like I formed these colors in the womb. Mm. They were formed when I came out of the womb. Right. And I think something you've got to experience the color, you I suppose, experience right? Experience yeah. the color. Yeah. I mean, you can hear things in the womb, but it's a bit different, but mm. so at some point this is the other thing about my synesthesia is it's very much related to a piano because I grew up playing bits around the piano. My dad plays the piano. We had a piano in my house. So at some point, my brain locked on to the keys and the sound of a piano. And that's what my whole basis of music and synesthesia and all the colors I associate it is with it mm. is based on that. So 
it's really crazy (laughs) that my brain just locked onto that. And so, yeah, I can't help the colors that I see. They're involuntary. Mm. But, yeah, they came from those first few months of life, apparently. That's that's what people think. Mm. That's the kind of running theory, I think. The theory may have changed. It was a few years ago. I've had lots of... People over the years try and dissect the brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just to, <laughs> to understand out, it more. Go figure out. Not li- not literally, no no vivisections here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, just to figure things out. Mm. But, yeah. Yeah, so, for example, the song Eden, um, which came out last year. That song is about Dunedin. And so I wrote that song. I'm just even looking outside of the weather right now. Like, <laughs> it's blue and oh, there's grey. Yeah. And... The whole song is in sort of F major and B flat, so mostly very blue and grey to have that gothic sound. Mm. They have that that Celtic gothic feeling in the music, and I always associate Dunedin with being grey, but mm. also weirdly quite blue um, because of the ocean and stuff. That. But yeah, so I think you know, so I wrote the song based on on those keys, also because B flat is a key that bagpipes comfortably play in. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to have that Scottish element as well. So everything's very much thought about. There's always like a million little Easter eggs behind why I do everything that I do. Like it is quite formulaic, but it's also pretty random. Hmm. Yeah. Two things I want to ask you about that. And I'll probably forget the other ones I've asked the first one. But the music video that you've got coming out for this song, Mm -hmm. that's out tomorrow. Uh, I presume there's some element of this that's been put into the production side of things to associate a certain colour with the song. Is that right? There's a lot yeah. of green. There's a lot of forestry. There's also a lot of white, a lot yeah. of yellow there too. Is that on purpose? Yeah, that's on purpose. It's quite funny because the song's called Moonlit. There's not a lot of like bluey grey sort of mm. nighttime scenes in it, which I thought was kind of funny at the time. But it kind of was more like it is that feeling of – the song technically is an A flat major, so that makes it kind of turquoisey. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of a turquoisey color. So it doesn't really fit in with the visuals, but um, in that sense, because there's not really a lot of turquoise. But I think what I liked about Moonlit and the way that we shot it was that it was more definitely playing on the lyrical content mm-hmm. with that one. Um, so that's why there's like. Lots of gold and shimmery sort of and white um, to portray this very like ethereal sort of beyond just like this real melodrama basically yeah. was what we were going for. Yeah, We wanted me to be like this sort of angel being that was beyond the limitations of a broken heart basically mm. above all above all of that you know like that real almost snooty attitude like all this silly heartbreak happened to me but i am this ethereal being above all of that and mm. i will survive all of this silly earthly love right yeah yeah that's kind of the that was kind of the vibe with that actually so there wasn't really a lot of synesthesia involved in that music video but um but very it, good creative direction. I, I enjoyed where yeah. it went. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Emily and Laura are amazing. Um, they were so good at helping bring this kind of my random ideas to life. Mm. I know that I wanted to be kind of terrifying looking. Mm. And I know that I also wanted to be very like this brilliant, the sublime, you know, the sublime, terrifying and beautiful all at mm. once. And that was the vibe I wanted 
for the music and yeah. for the music video and Emily and Laura were amazing. Emily did all the shooting and um, on her camera. She's a photography student. She's never done a music video before. Right. So it was her first time with cinematography. Not and I bad. thought she was pretty good. Not bad Pretty, at all. pretty amazing. I was quite impressed. Um, what I like about her is she has a very unique editorial eye. Sure. And you really see that in the music video. And then Laura is just incredible with the sets and all the fabric. Mm. And all the beautiful outfits. Yeah, that was she quite powerful. Put yeah. everything together. And, yeah, very powerful, um, the kind of themes that they came up with. Yeah. It was a fun music video yeah. to shoot. We shot it, it in like January. It. I was going to say, it must have been a wee while ago. Yeah, it was shot in January because it was cold. and But even then it was still cold because we shot in Ross Creek and the mm. waterfall there. Um, there's a point where in that big, the big screen – where my face is through. I'm assuming people will have watched the music I would video. Hope so. I hope so when this comes out. But um, the screen where I have my face through, it was like, yeah, really intense. Um, I was like kneeling on a rock mm. behind to get the right height right. for that. Um, I had these funny little um, boat shoes on, and I'm basically sitting in water, like on a slightly tiny island, but I'm basically in the water. <laughs> At that point, and there's just a lot of me just in, in the water. I was freezing. It was so cold. It was so cold. Yeah. Would not do that now. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. Made for a cool effect. I really liked yeah. the way that that looked. Yeah. 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 And I think the association to the song is quite correct, you know? Yeah. And and I, I always like listening to music without the video the first time yeah. because – Depending, you know, it's situational, but that's not the right word. Um, you know, it's it's nicer to get your own sort of visual for a song, I think, initially. Yeah. And then see what sort of the intention was from the artist about the music video. Yeah. Um, but I think, and, and that's sort of why I asked about is their color schemes related to the song through that video? Because mm. if you are to, if, if that were to be true and, and you were to watch the video for the first time, if that was the first time hearing your song and you have that video, you have what the elements of the song that are important to you or what you see are have that immediate association with the song for the viewer as well. Yeah. So you sort of you immediately are sort of on board with whatever theme it was that you wanted to to bring forth in that. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. But I always like to sort of yeah, listen to it on my own so that I have my own perception of the song because it can sometimes also take the focus away from the song itself mm. at least in how i i um consume it you know i'm yeah you've got two senses happening i suppose at the same time when you watch the video right so Absolutely. you're watching something that's ha that's happening but um i often find when i watch a music video the lyrical content will will sort of just become the background. I'm, yeah. wa I'm watching the the person or whatever that is that is happening in the video, and then the and then the instrumentation is what is is being perceived initially. Mm -hmm. So when so when um, listening to the song by itself without anything else, I think you can focus more on on the the true intent. This is this is on very small scale. Obviously, you're yeah, obviously totally. going to hear and associate the video with each other, but it's Absolutely. nice to get your sort of own perception on the song initially, which I think is good. Yeah, that's and, cool. And um, sometimes there's cases where what you think a song is going to be about is quite, or how how you visualize a song, and then you watch a video and it's quite different to what you thought. 
yeah. it can create a whole other feeling for the song as well. Totally. But in the case of your song, I think it, it just fit exactly how I perceived the song to be, which That's was quite cool. nice. And hence why I went through it a couple of times because it, like, it all just sort of intertwined. And I think you've done a good job putting those two elements together. I think that's really cool. Cute. Yeah. It was so much fun to edit. We had yeah, a lot of fun editing it, Emily and I. Um, yeah. Is, was... this, is this the only video you have for the album? or is there No, other... so I have the other two. I have Eden and Paranoia. Oh, so this, um, that's from the album too, is Yeah, it? so they were last oh, year. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So these are the three, all building up for the album. So three music videos for a 10-song album I think is pretty that's awesome. That's absolutely. I think the main reason why I wanted so many music videos is, one, they're fun. Mm. They're so fun to do. Two, you get to collaborate with your friends. Even more fun. Big plus. And then you get to just hang out with your friends and have their awesome contributions. Mm. And three, um, particularly for my friends who live overseas who won't get to hear me live, really, that mm. mm. gives them something to connect with. Mm, I like that. That's yeah. a good way to look at it. Yeah. It yeah. gives them something to watch rather than just listening. Yeah, They can definitely. see – their friend frolicking about a hill. <laughs> yeah. And be like, oh, that's them. That's, that's Adelaide. Being yeah. Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. In the hill. <laughs> that's cool. I like that. A lot of frolicking in, yeah. my, in my videos. Yep. <laughs> I love it. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, um, excuse me, I've forgotten the name already of your colour association. Synesthesia. Um, if it's If it's nothing too personal to address, you can obviously not answer this, but I wonder if there are any negative connotations associated with that, just in terms, not necessarily involved in music, but just in everyday life. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I have an anxiety disorder. Um, I'm pretty good with it now. Like it's, you know, a few years ago it was pretty rough. But um, because of my synesthesia, I do experience sensory overload. Mm -hmm. And so I find life quite overwhelming mm -hmm. a lot of the time. I'm not very good at processing things sensory-wise. So, like, you know, lots of lights, lots of loud noises, um, supermarkets, shopping malls. Sometimes I have to be – I have to really prepare myself to go out into those situations because mm -hmm. I can get pretty overwhelmed pretty quick. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's quite to the level of some of my friends who have um, autism – um, but it's definitely on a similar wavelength. One of my good friends and I have a lot that we can relate to because of that. Yeah, sure. Um, and just that whole sensory processing thing, just being pretty <laughs> – I yeah, it's just something, it's something I've had my whole life and I associate it a lot with my synesthesia, but I definitely do have pretty pretty sensory yeah. – my sensory processing is pretty like yeah. – yeah, yeah, I can imagine that because I because I think like if you if you had a, if you have an immediate association to a color based on a sound, how much sound do you take in per day? You know, just out yeah. and about, like it's a lot to have to sort of mingle through. But it's I suppose obviously not knowing the circumstances, but when you say sensory overload, does it does it mean that you're sort of just swarmed with colors or? Yeah, where does it sort of become too much? Yeah, it's when I'm swarmed with colours and then it gets to a point where I can't focus on someone talking in front of me yeah. or like walking in a straight line or I just have to sit down basically. I just have to sit down and close my eyes Yeah, if it gets much it just because I can't literally, yeah, I yeah. can't. My brain's just taken in too much 
and I can't push it back, you know. So I have to just like sit down and close my eyes. Um, I think it's also why, weirdly, on a weird tangent, but we'll dip back into what we're talking about. No, please, I love tangents. um, Is why um, in terms of my clothing, I used to wear a lot of bright colours, but I've noticed in recent years the way I decorate my home and the way I wear my clothing is pretty muted. Right. And I'm pretty sure it's because of my synesthesia. Sure. There's so much colour all the time that I can't have colours in where I'm living and sleeping and what I'm wearing. Right. So that's why I wear a lot of black and a lot of white. I wear a lot of, like, contrast, but, like, not a lot of, like, busy, busy stuff, busy colours. More textures, but not colours. Because I think it just gets really overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I'd sort of asked you this before, but in that scenario – does do you, does it sort of work in the opposite way where you have sound association to a color and that can sort of become too much? You sort of do you, do you sort of hear a sound when you see a color and or and and, and and then if you choose to to wear lots of colors around a room with lots of colors, does it yeah. does it then become because that could be really anywhere? So I guess this yeah, is sort yeah. of a broad question, but like if you were to see say a poster or something mm-hmm. with a very vivid color, do you have an immediate sort of sound associated with seeing something like that i don't immediately hear it like i would it would that's more voluntary so i'd be able to yeah but i still definitely yeah i'd be (laughs) i sort of approach yeah i would associate it but um yeah it's sort of loud Mm. and i mean people talk about loud all the time in terms of colors in terms of stuff like that like things being loud and it's just it's just that but it just feels more intense yeah yeah. but it's not like things are singing back at me unless they're like you know, a fridge humming or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it's hard to, I suppose, explain these sort of things, right, that is so natural to you. Yeah. Which is so different to to what I experience, you know, in that regard. Absolutely, particularly because I just assumed that everyone had yeah, this. Yeah, like you said, yeah. I really did. Well, um, if that's that's just what you experience, you immediately yeah. think this is – this is what humans can do. You know? this, is a hu- this is a human thing. Mm. Yeah. It's quite weird. Our brains are like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's cool. Yeah. But it's pretty overwhelming at times. Definitely yeah. pretty overwhelming. Yeah. I can, I can make sense of that. Yeah. I suppose it's, it's quite satisfying in your creative process being able to put colors into the right places. I imagine there must be a lot of satisfaction being able to lay something out and and putting a colour scheme involved in the song and having sort of fit what is right to you yeah. there in front of you, you know, like in the, and when you like specifically when you're in a when you're in your audio workstation and you and you can make this certain sound this colour, that must be a pretty satisfying thing to to put together. So satisfying, yeah. so satisfying. I love order. Yeah. I love chaos, but I also love order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely something to be said about chaos. I often find myself comfortable in a messy room. Yeah, and I think a lot fair. of people can say that as well, or just generally like just a little bit of clutter yeah. can somewhat feel comfortable in a way. Yeah. Do you think you've achieved that with your music? Yeah. Like the chaos aspect of it, and what do you define chaos to be in a musical sense? You mentioned it a couple of times. Chaos in a musical sense for me is is it is that randomness. It is the unexpected. Mm. I think I don't know. As someone who 
as a real music nerd and maybe at times a bit of a music snob. Yeah. Um, some music can be pretty predictable yeah. and I get really bored. Um, so I like music to be a little bit unpredictable. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people love jazz. Yeah. You know, yeah, and absolutely. music like that and avant garde music is yeah. because they can be like, all right, what's going on? Sometimes it's a bit much. Like sometimes I find it a bit much because <laughs> it's just too many colors. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I think there is something to be said in, in just like experiencing the chaos, the randomness, Definitely. the something that you can't be like, oh, I can predict that. But in saying that, predictability in music is really good because mm. in another aspect of my life, I, um, I'm i a Christian and I write music for um, like worship. And you have to make that predictable so mm. that the every, every man and his dog can sing it basically, yeah, you know, sure. like so that anyone can – can can latch onto it and that's that, that's when i like things like making hooks in my yeah. music so many people have said that they've gotten my song stuck in their head mm. i think that's really important because then they've got something to grip onto absolutely remember but at the same time adding i think it's all about it's all a balance definitely all a balance but i think yeah. music the core music structure is is you know based around a a loop or, you know, a, a yeah. tempo, you know, so you are expecting bits to come in at a certain point and it's typically always time so you know when a verse is ending or a chorus is starting. So totally. people are accustomed to that format. But being able to add elements to that, you know, a surprise, I mm-hmm. suppose, within that is where you can sort of create that chaos. But I find there, there are sort of elements of music where it's there is too much chaos, you know, like oh, yeah. there's too much things going on and I think it's 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 still still music of course but it's sort of in its own realm of things to hear something so abstract and so something it doesn't have a tempo for example I yeah. would I would perceive it as like chaotic music because there's no you really don't know where you are or where it's going Absolutely. and that is obviously an experience in itself but it's also quite chaotic in a negative yeah. sense too where you sort of go okay well where, what time and place do I listen to that's often what I think about music is like when am I going to listen to this you know yeah you don't want to feel unstable yeah and some music is designed to really play with your level of stability and instability and make you think outside of that you yeah. know it's what you know it's what they talk about with dissonance and instability mm. is just things being like out of your control and that's quite scary and learning to go with that. But yeah. at the same time, you don't have to sign up for that with the rest yeah. of your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you exactly. can like choose to you can choose to tap in and tap out of that. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's why a lot of people like music that tends to be fairly at times predictable. Yeah. Is because then you do you have something that you can as almost like a mantra. Yeah, that's right. They can just go round and round. Sometimes things go round and round and you hate it. <laughs> but that's what they're designed to do. <laughs> exactly. And I guess that's your quote-unquote job as the artist to be able to take your own direction in what is already sort of a formatted process, you know, putting your spin in things and finding ways to make something unique that Absolutely. is unique to you, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Awesome. Adelaide, I think we've done it. I think we've done it. This was really fun. This I really enjoyed really talking to you. Do you want to plug everything that you've got coming up? Obviously, uh, we mentioned a couple of times you've got a single out tomorrow. Yeah. So where are people going to be able to find that? Definitely. Um, so it's on all your favorite streaming services. <laughs> we just talked about Ooh. streaming services. Yeah. But also um, Bandcamp is a great place that if you want to support me directly. Absolutely. I highly recommend Bandcamp. Also, you'll be able to watch the music videos on YouTube. So Adelaide Cara 
you'll probably find stuff if you type in Adelaide Cara. But yeah, I have an Instagram, Facebook, Bandcamp, YouTube, all your favorite streaming services. I'll, so be make, I'll, I'll make sure I put all these links in the description cool. just to make life easy for everyone. So Thank that's you. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I have the single coming out by the time that this podcast will be out. The single will be out. And then I have my full 10 song album called How Does This Sound? <laughs> How Does This Sound? Coming out on the 12th of July. And then I have a gig in Dunedin, just one big album release party on the 24th of July at Fantastic. the South Dunedin Community Hall. Fantastic. That yeah. sounds super exciting. It'll it's going to be a big month for you. Big month. Big month. Awesome. Big month. Cool. Well, thanks for coming here. I really appreciate it. This was really, really fun. Again, yeah. definitely have you going again at some time in the future. I'm really looking forward to hearing the album based cool. on what you've told me and now what I know about you. I think it's going to be a really cool experience. So thanks again. Awesome. Cheers, Adelaide. Thank Bye, you. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Show for artists of all kinds. Sit down and relax. Enjoy the music.